From India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. Of millions of people were left in the dark after the major power cut. Authorities have blamed the outage on voltage on a voltage surge after generators were temporarily switched off to save energy. Atta cost double of what it did last year. There's a rationing for costlier fuel, and there are power blackouts. Add to the mix a horrific terror attack that left nearly a hundred dead, and you have the situation in Pakistan as of last week. The most obvious sign of Pakistan's economic distress was the power blackout on the 23rd of January, where all of the country had no electricity for most of the day. Since then, the Pakistan government has entered into negotiations with the International Monetary Fund to get money so that it can repay lenders and keep the economy functioning. In this episode and the next, we're going to be looking at two of the biggest issues affecting Pakistan presently: an economy that needs to be bailed out and terrorism in the country. In today's episode, we're taking a look at the Pakistani economy and the distress it's in. We're looking at how Pakistan can emerge from the current economic crisis and the need for long-pending economic reforms. For this, we spoke with London-based financial columnist and author Yusuf Nazar to analyze the financial crisis. Yusuf Nazar was formerly Citigroup's head of emerging market investments. He worked with Benazir Bhutto as a student union leader in the 1970s and spent many years in exile before returning to Pakistan. We started by talking to Yusuf about the negotiations with the International Monetary Fund or IMF. On the 2nd of February, the IMF refused to release funds to the Pakistan government just yet. Yusuf Nazar says that's because the IMF didn't approve of Pakistan's plan for the power sector, which is deeply in debt. Basically, it is in the energy sector, electricity and gas. It is the net amount that is owed by different energy companies to the government authority. That has ballooned to about four uh, trillion rupees. Roughly speaking, is about like fifteen billion dollars. That is the significance of it. It is internal; it is not external. But as a percentage of the GDP, is over five percent. So that has been a thorn issue: how to manage and how to fix this problem. And in that regard, the news was that the IMF has rejected the government's plan to manage this sectoral debt. But I think uh, government probably will end up. accepting whatever the imf is asking uh, it to do because government at this point of time is in a weak position the circular debt that yusuf nazar referred to is a result of pakistan's electricity policy pakistan's electricity generation is presently dependent on imported gas and coal which needs to be paid for in dollars however the cost of electricity for consumers is kept low thanks to subsidies from the government So the state spending more on generating electricity and not recovering enough money. Multiple power plants in Pakistan have shut down since last year due to a lack of fuel and other factors, meaning most of the power generation that can happen isn't even happening. But Pakistan's economic problem is much deeper than the power sector. 
Yusuf Nazar says Pakistan's economy has always gone through boom and bust cycles. He says the economic impact of the pandemic, widespread floods in 2022 and the Ukraine war came together at the worst possible time for the Pakistani economy. 90% of the economy in Pakistan is driven by consumption. When there is some expansion in the credit or some aid flows, then the consumption picks up. But then it becomes too heated. But this cycle has been happening for nearly three decades. And the reasons are very fundamental, very structural. So I won't say that, you know, this government or that particular period was good or bad. Uh, it has to do with the fact that Pakistan's savings and investment levels are chronically low. And it has uh, relied on foreign aid flows. But as the economy has grown, and then we had the problem of the energy sector. Uh, then came the Ukraine war and the fallout from that. So it just compounded the problems. All the these confluence of factors have really, really uh, aggravated the situation in an economy which was already not on a very strong footing, particularly with reference to this external finance situation. I don't see any way out except eventually uh, debt restructuring. At this point of time, I don't think there is any option but to restructure Pakistan's external debt. Some lenders like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have already agreed to delay Pakistan's repayment deadline. Another major lender is China, which hasn't said anything yet about the money Pakistan has to repay. Yusuf Nazar says most lenders will have to at least accept that their debt repayments will be delayed. And Pakistan will have to have a better plan in place to convince lenders that it will pay them back. It looks more like a rescheduling. That means, for example... Sri Lanka is getting a moratorium from the Chinese, from India. India about like 10 years, Chinese debt about two years. There is another dimension of the problems. Pakistan's total debt is about $130 billion, out of which the official debt is $100 billion. Out of that $100 billion, $40, $41 billion is owed to the international financial institutions and $30 billion to the Chinese banks or government altogether. Now, when it comes to restructuring, there could be a problem. You know, who bites the bullet first? Given the current international situation, you know, there are tensions between the West and China. So that poses another dilemma for Pakistan, how to approach this subject. The Pakistani finance minister has been very, very indecisive about this, uh, almost in denial first in denial that, you know, they can do with the, without the IMF, then uh, coming to terms with the reality that, no, you ultimately will have to be with the IMF. Restructuring of the debt is not just a straightforward thing. Any lender that you go to, they will ask, what is your plan for the recovery? Do we have a plan? And that, uh, the signs are that we are not there yet. So uh, I, I see a lot of, you know, complications and downside, at least in the short term. 
Yusuf Nazar also explained how the Pakistani elite have benefited greatly over the decades and the need for the Pakistan government to take up widespread economic reforms. He also explains why China's lending to Pakistan is a factor in its debt crisis, but the real problem is broader structural issues with the Pakistani economy. There's one factor which is common to Sri Lanka and Pakistan there's Chinese debt involved and with Pakistan China so far hasn't yet committed to a delay or taking a hit on the debt yet but could you talk about the role these projects are believed to have played in the crisis no it is not the biggest factor it is a factor in 2017-18 as the power plants uh, were installed and pakistan's power generation capacity expanded the imports did contribute to the worsening of the current account deficit this has been caused more by a record spike in the global oil prices more than anything else uh, last year imports were 80 billion dollars this year imports it looks like they will be about 60 and that is uh, in large measure due to the fall in the oil prices some people would like to say that you know it is the chinese debt china is pakistan's single largest creditor about 30% of its total official debt but that by itself is not the you know the entire reason for for the current crisis uh, yeah it did create a problem that our exports have not grown but when you borrow your debt service obligations grow also the companies that invest they have to remit the their dividends out so that puts an additional pressure on the external finances and if the exports are not growing uh, then you have a serious problem in terms of the economy on the ground itself um, would you have any contact with people in pakistan about the situation there and what is the kind of impact that people are seeing on the ground as a result of the economic crisis of course i talk to people you know frequently and uh, there is a you know the great sense of despair despondency last month there was a huge country wide power shutdown although it was attributed to some technical reasons but uh, people were saying that well, partly it could be that you know pakistan's fuel stocks are low so the power production is being cut down uh, and there have been instances of the queues at different uh, petrol pumps and um, and rationing in, in some places the inflation has gone up to like what 27% but most importantly the food inflation is around 40% and that's where it is really hurting the people at large a lot of the blame for the pakistan economic scenario has also been placed um at the door of the, what were termed the pakistani elite who are who are said to have done very little to help um you know could you explain who this anger is directed at and more importantly why even the imf programs they talk about the elimination of the subsidies and energy first of all it's a misnomer in pakistan the independent power plants 
using even the fossil fuels are guaranteed a return. And the foreign investors are guaranteed a return in dollar terms. Now, when there is a spike in the international oil prices, people were told that, you know, we have to increase the oil price. And then the reaction was, what all about these guys, the fat cats, so-called? What about the, you know, the massive bureaucracy, the, you know, bloated government? There was a report a few years back by the United Nations Development Program that uh, stated that in Pakistan, the corporate sector is given subsidies at that time, what 1.7 trillion rupees, which was at that exchange rate was you know, $1.7 billion. Of now it might be less in dollar terms, but it's still hundreds of billions of rupees. It is pointed out that nobody talks about the subsidies given to the corporate sector or to the preferential treatment given to sugar mills or to the fertilizer companies. Um, special preferential treatment given to the textile companies. And then on top of it, the real estate sector in which the elites have a major stake, uh, it is practically not taxed. So the burden of the taxes, especially taxes on petrol, utilities like gas and electricity, is basically is passed on to the people because the richest whose wealth is concentrated in the real estate sector get away without paying much taxes. According to one report, 80% of you know, the wealth in Pakistan is concentrated in the real estate, and that is not taxed. The biggest province, Punjab, which is like 56% or 55%, of the total population of 230 million pays less tax, property tax, than, you know, just one city of Chennai in your country. But hence, there is a resentment that uh, the ruling elites, you know, they have made a killing in the real estate, in the properties, in expensive areas of major cities like Karachi, Lahore, Islamabad, they're very expensive. And that has really created more wealth uh, inequalities. And there is a strong resentment because the narrative is that uh, the ruling elites who have ruled Pakistan for a long time, uh, and that includes, by the way, both military and the civil, uh, their policies have been designed just to benefit themselves. And then the people have to basically bear the brunt of any so-called adjustment programs of the IMF. And uh, to be honest, IMF is not the real problem. The problem is Pakistan's governance and its own economic system. Do you see that changing with this potential bailout? Do you see that um, there could be some kind of tax reform, some sort of inward-looking where these problems are now looked at and tackled? Maybe, you know, it remains to be seen. Every time, you know, there has been a talk about structural reforms, but nothing really much happened in terms of changing the basic, as they say, you know, the structure of the economy. There's always been, uh, you know, a heavy reliance on indirect taxation, 
And within that, heavy reliance on imports, uh, petroleum products, uh, the burden is passed on easily. Uh, all the major landed elite or the big industrialists, they get away. Would it change? They still have not shown any concrete signs of it. They, uh, till last few months, you know, their hope was that maybe they will get some money from a, from friendly countries, from Saudis or the uh, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar or, or China. Uh, they did not take the initiative to uh, to start the reform process themselves. And even now they're not talking about it. I have to say that I don't see still not any serious will or intent amongst Pakistan's ruling elites to reform the economy um, because uh, they don't suffer much. They're already so rich. So, okay, the growth will go down. They still have a lot of money. They can get away with it. Yes, the only different factor this time is this is the most serious economic crisis. Um, I would say since 1971. Now, everybody outside the country, be it uh, in the the Arab world or China or the Western world, they have made it very clear that Pakistan must go through the IMF program and without which uh, not much you know, help would be coming. So that might force them to do some reforms, but still we will have to wait and see. Many are questioning how much the government will bite the bullet given elections are due later this year. And it's something that even an Imran Khan did earlier, which was promised to say stick to a certain debt level and then renege on it almost immediately after that. Uh, what are the challenges for the government if it does decide to stick to the plans stated to the IMF? This thing that agree and then, you know, deviate from the path. I don't think that option is there anymore because Pakistan's finances have weakened considerably since then. The latest foreign exchange reserves, you know, in terms of the import cover is, you know, barely, you know, 18 days or so. Perhaps uh, going lower as we speak. The government, I think it needs the IMF bailout that has to happen. So it is that is not an option. I think uh, they will have to accept it, regardless of the political fallout. And how do you see Pakistan emerging from this crisis, given it's, as you said, its biggest crisis since perhaps 1971? It depends a lot on the leadership response, how the leadership responds. And by leadership, I include the leadership of uh, Pakistan's military, which still is a very powerful you know, factor in Pakistan's overall governance and politics. And so they have to really think and do some serious introspection as to what has gone wrong and what should be done about it. And how much of a factor uh, would the elections be given? How much of a factor do you see that being to whatever acceptance is there of the IMF program? Elections are still probably, I don't know, 
trip that I had, the, the probably around October. And um, this pain is not going to go away anytime soon. So whoever is in the government, you know, they, they have to face the music. And I hope the elections, you know, are held. Um, but it is clear that to come out of this crisis, we do need a government with a clear mandate. And the present government doesn't have that. Uh, not at least in my view. Elections by themselves will not solve uh, all the problems. But you do need a stable government to address all political, economic issues and a government which has a clear mandate. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at typodcast at timesinternet.in.